Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey fam, before this new episode of Last Drinks, why not jump online and order yourself some sparkling tea from budsandbeads.com.au. Buds and Beads Sparkling Tea, where every bubble tells a story. And don't forget to use the code LASTDRINKS20. This will give you 20% off your order. You're welcome. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious, hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Well, hi, Pod Squad. I think I'm going to, I think we're going to run with Pod Squad in 2024. Is that okay with everybody? You are still beautiful humans. You are still my fam bam, but I feel like we're mixing up the intro and it's Pod Squad for now. Hi. Uh, can I say one thing? I see you. I hear you and I appreciate you. I am appreciative of your time. Time is our greatest commodity, as Oprah says in the intro to her podcast super soul sessions um if you want some inspiration other than sobriety inspiration you can head along to oprah's super soul sessions i binge listen if that's a thing to oprah i go through i cycle through phases with my listening habits i listen to a bit of oprah back-to-back super soul sessions i get like you know some deep learning and a bit of healing and some really good gratitude and spirituality and all of that jazz. And then I just like flip over to Smartless where it is just banter and swearing and it's so funny. So there are two recommendations for you already today. Um, My other recommendation is that you stick around and listen to this episode of Last Drinks because let me just give you a bit of backstory. Okay. So It depends on the guest as to how much I know about them. So if I was doing a radio interview with a music artist, I would be researched to the T. I would have listened to their new single or their album or whatever they're promoting. I would have absolutely read the press release, done my own research. I would have had probably a list of questions in front of me and then also see where the conversation goes. But with radio, you've got a limited amount of time. The person who's there is there to promote something so you need to get to the crux of that at some point in the conversation and you need to move things along quite quickly podcasting is a whole different thing and one of the things that I enjoy the most about hosting this podcast is I learn along with you about people's stories so generally speaking when people come onto the podcast unless I know them personally we have you know, a bit of history as friends or colleagues or, you know, through media circles, I don't know about their last drink story. So I'm hearing it for the first time. And then one step removed from that, if it's somebody who I've never met before and we're just meeting for the very first time, 
other than sort of a one sentence heads up on, hey, this is Eternally Amy and she hosts a podcast uh, about X, Y, and Z, I don't know much more. And I try not to, like I try to make the nerd, the super nerd in me just calm down and not over-research and over-plan and have my list of questions because I've wanted it to always be like you guys are a part of the conversation as well. I don't want it to feel like an interview. It's more of a casual chat about, hey, tell me about your last drink and then let's talk about what happened leading up to that moment and where you're up to now. That's generally the vibe. The reason that I'm telling you all of this now is because when I asked Amy Liz Harrison about her last drink, I was gobsmacked with the response. I had, I didn't even, you can hear it. I didn't even know, I didn't even know where to go from there. Um, Amy Liz Harrison, I'll let you guess how many kids she has. It's a few. And she has a really amazing podcast where she chats about being a sober mum. She also talks about the deconstruction of faith whilst she was in recovery. So there's a bit of a heads up on some of her story, um, which was really important, I think, for us to chat about. And I think people listening to this, you know, if you've grown up with religion or if you've grown up in a church group, you might be at a point in your life where you're not really sure how faith looks and feels in your midlife. That's certainly where I've been at. That's definitely where Amy was at as well. So it was really cool to tap into that. Um, But her last drink was her lowest point. Um, She was raw and she was broken. But boy, has she turned it around. And she has found purpose to her pain. And she is just such an incredible woman. I loved our conversation so much. There is so much in here for anyone who is living in the blame-shame cycle, who is waking up every other day or every weekend with a hangover and wanting it to magically end. I think the common denominator in a lot of the conversations I have on the podcast is it's not going to magically end, guys. You are the person who has to make a choice. And I made the choice. And if I can make the choice, it's possible. If Amy can make the choice from where she was, it's possible, which means it's possible for you. So I really hope you enjoy as Amy just blows the lid right off and shares about her last drinks. Enjoy this episode. Can you tell me about your last drink? Yes, I certainly can, Maz. Um, My last drink was on an airplane and I was heading back to rehab and I had just exited jail a few hours prior to my last drink. My husband put me on the plane. I had no credit cards, no nothing. And it was April 22nd, 2011, because I considered the 23rd my sobriety date. And so mm-hmm. I had to bum uh, from the guy next to me on the plane. I, I had to bum sort of two Chardonnays from him. And it, you know what? The sad part is it did nothing for me. I didn't feel a buzz. I did not feel any kind of escape from the horrific circumstances surrounding my going back to rehab. It Mm -hmm. was like I was drinking a glass of water. 
And I wow. remember it so clearly because that's how I knew, yeah, this is not a solution for me anymore. It's not working. Well, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> so my first question will be, how did we get to jail? Mm-hmm. So, And then my, my follow-up question will be, you said you were going back to rehab. Have we been to rehab prior? So mm-hmm. I guess what's the backstory? You bet. All right. So uh, in late 2010, my husband came to me. I had had sort of a drinking history before where for the past five years, I just really had picked up speed. I kind of grew up as a, what you might call a normal drinker. Mm -hmm. Alcohol wasn't a big deal in my house uh, growing up. And then I never really drank in college. I had like a Bartles and James wine cooler here and there. And then we went to, we moved to Seattle after I got married in 1998 and I was making friends, right? So I was going to book clubs and I was just Mm -hmm. kind of um, getting to know people and uh, really didn't think about anything more than having a glass of wine at book club every month. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't a part of my life until I started having babies. I was out in the neighborhoods and with my neighbors in the afternoon. And we thought we were kind of glamorous having our wine while the kids played. And pretty soon I began to get that feeling like, you know what? I am best friends with these girls. We are just so close and this is wonderful and this makes me feel so good and so why wouldn't i allow myself you know glamorous ladies do this i'm sure right have a glass of wine while the kids are napping and i'm folding laundry and so the progression just kind of started Mm -hmm. from there where all of a sudden it was like so much a part of my routine to have incorporated day drinking into it that it became more than a habit, it became, I need this every day mm-hmm. and I need this to function, not just escape. So in 2010, I was at the tail end of that where literally I didn't know. I mean, was it 6 a.m.? Was it 6 p.m.? Who wow. knew, right? And yeah. so my husband sat me down and basically said, I have found a place for you to go. You need to go work on your quote, postpartum depression, which I don't take that, I don't say that lightly at all, but that's what I hid behind was untreated postpartum depression, which I do believe that I have, Uh, not currently, I guess I had it, we should say, but really I used it as an excuse to, well, this Mm -hmm. is why I'm drinking. And so I, I kind of, I had spun so many lies. I had just told so many stories to so many people where I was always the victim, right? And so I had painted this picture that I was simply just so depressed and I had this really difficult life, which I didn't. I mean, looking back on it now, mm. obviously from a different lens and all of that, right? Um, and and I'm not trying to minimize being in that place of crisis either. But mm-hmm. at that time, it was very real. And um I went off to treatment and uh, 
pretty much just decided this was not for me. I was not going to try sobriety. It was not something I was interested in. I didn't like anybody there. They did not look like me. They were all young. They were into meth. I mean, you name it. And I just blamed, you know, well, no, I, this isn't going to work out because of these reasons. Yes. Yeah. So I listened to what everybody was saying in treatment so that I could parrot that back to my case manager and she would let me go on my 30 days. And so I came home and then uh, proceeded to immediately tell everybody in my neighborhood and in my family, hey, guess what? Rehab taught me how to drink normally. Wow. And again, I- That's creative. I mean, I guess, you know- it was kind of one of those things. It was like, I just wanted to hang on to my drinking card mm -hmm. so badly. And I think that that was part of it um, was the fear that something was going to happen and I was going to need to drink. And by something, I mean, like it's right. It's Tuesday or um, I had a hangnail Anything. whatever. Yeah. So, Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So by two weeks after I had been released from rehab, I was back to drinking the same amount. I mean, the progression just picked up where I had left it. Um, and I was drinking the same amount. I was, it was worse though, because I was lying to my husband, you know, getting up in the morning at 6 a.m. going, oh, I'm just going to my AA meeting. And the truth was I was headed down to the Chevron to grab some really classy champagne from their cellars you know, and, and, mm. and it was just this mess of brokenness thinking, I can't believe I'm back here already. Fast forward to that uh, infamous day on the 21st of April, 2011, where I got pulled over bringing my kids home from school and I got a DUI. Um, mm. And I'm not even, I'm not sure what they, what, um, they call it in Australia, but you know, it's the same driving while intoxicated, whatever. And I went yeah. to jail overnight because I had had a friend inform me that um, it was not a good idea to take the breathalyzer. So of course I followed that wise advice that somebody had given me. I'm like, what the heck? It led to a series of problems that I did not do that. But wow. that night in jail, and I will tell you, I was somebody who definitely had a rock bottom moment. And that was mm -hmm. it for me, was like yeah. that rubber mat. I bet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just being left with myself. There was nothing mm -hmm. left but myself. And I just didn't know if I was going to have a future. So that's when in the morning, I got picked up, bailed out by my husband. Horrible car ride home, as you can imagine, fought the whole way. He's going, I don't know who yeah. you are anymore. I'm saying I know because I don't know who I am. Exactly. And so really what I learned over time back at rehab the second time was that I didn't know who I was anymore. Now that I had these kids, I didn't have my identity anymore. I wasn't working. I used to teach 10th grade English and I just... I had no clue who I was. And then I had some old tapes and some old stuff that I needed to sort through from my past. And I didn't know how to do it. And mm -hmm. in addition to that, I had like some religious threads 
that were still very strong in my life. So I was having trouble making sense of those. And slowly what happened was I finally surrendered and I just said, you know, if I want my life back at any sense of whatever that's going to look like, mm. I can't be drinking. Like I can't have that um, lack of clarity in my head. And so I thought, you know what, even if I fail, that was another big thing, fear of failing. Even if I fail, at least I have to try because if I don't try, I don't have anything. And mm -hmm. so now, you know, it's been almost 12 years and, and I, I guess it has been 12 years. What is it? 2003, um, have come up through the 12 step fellowship, but have learned a lot and been very open-minded to other means of recovery. And they have all benefited and added to my sobriety in amazing ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, you know, the biggest thing has been learning to become a seeker and just being open to whatever comes my way and, you know, yeah. whatever the universe brings into my path to be open-minded about it. Because the biggest things that I've learned have always come from random little, you know, like one thing somebody says to me, like in the grocery store line or whatever it is, but yeah. really learning to be open to that was hard for me because I, I thought I knew everything and I thought I knew everything for everybody. And so that for me was the biggest nugget of truth that my sobriety just continues to teach me is just stay open, just stay, you know, teachable, coachable. Mm. Yeah. I find it so interesting that alcohol was not even a thing for you. Like you, you just grew up just having a drink here, having a drink there, like as we do as teens and young adults. And then you you hit like when you become a parent, and I think a lot of parents go through this, like all of a sudden it's not just you anymore. It's I had this moment at my kids' daycare where, one of the daycare teachers when he very first started was like, oh, that's Henry's mom. And I was like, no, I'm Maz. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm Henry's mom. Like I'm forever Henry's mom. Right. And I hadn't like kind of embraced that new identity that you have as a parent. And so you've got this mix of this neighborhood and these friends and like, you know, painting this picture of life, this internal disconnecting confusion of like who am I as a mother and what am I even doing and I'm folding the washing and I'm having wine because it's all too hard to talk about and alcohol is this thief that it just steals your minutes and your mind and before you know it you are in the throes of addiction you're in this place where you can't function without alcohol and it it sounds like it kind of snuck up on you like you were just going about your business trying to manage some really big mental health stuff without, um, you know, proper tools. You just self-medicate. And then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, sweetheart, like we, we're sending you over here to go and fix this. But because you didn't go to rehab for you the first time around, 
it sounds like. Right. Your strategy in there was like, let's just get out of here as best we can. And that, you know, you've been wearing that mask in the neighborhood for so long. I'm sure you just wore one in there, right? We become masters at it. We become so good at just convincing ourselves of what we want. Like when we are not ready to do something, we won't allow ourselves to do it. And if that involves getting sober, we double down. So it's just, again, like you go to rehab and then you come out and you just, you're right back where you were. But I feel like you, some people do need to have that line. I call it more of a line in the sand, like that night in jail, you probably sat with yourself without uh, any alcohol within reach to numb or to, you know, to self-medicate or to self-soothe all that pain. And I'm sure guilt, disappointment, like all of the, the atlas of the heart of emotions. Right. You have your line in the sand moment because you were there with just you and maybe the prospect of, hey, I could lose my family, I could lose my kids. Like this is not going to go in a great direction from this if I don't, mm-hmm. you know, put on my big girl pants and do something about it. And I think that that, that is the thing like that I think a lot of people can relate to and it may not be a jail cell but it may internally feel like one right we can build walls so high around ourselves no one can get in and we're the only ones that can take those walls down and for you it felt it was a physical prison cell that you had that line in the sand moment but I think for a lot of people it's the same, you know, it's a great metaphor for how we can try to protect ourselves or avoid pain. And then at the end of the day, the pain is there to be felt because mm-hmm. that's how we become resilient and that's how we overcome. And that's part of the human experience. And it sucks. It sucks. Pain is so hard. Mental health struggles are so hard. But we have, there are other tools and resources available and it sounds like you very much have tapped into probably a few of those. So after you um, came out of rehab the second time, was there like a practice or a thing or something that you landed on that changed the game for you where you were like, hmm, this sobriety thing can stick now? Probably the fact that I had a shaman for a counselor in rehab. Wow. That was a game changer for me. That's cool. It was so cool. And that's where I think the initial seeds were planted to become a seeker because with my religious background, like that would have been a big fat no, no. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that would have been like, Oh yeah, no, we don't do that. And he taught me such amazing uh, skills and tactile things that I could do And it really started getting me to look at things from a different perspective and just go, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe this isn't all that bad. And then it's like that old um, fable that they talk about, you know, putting your hand on the elephant. Well, you're going to say that you feel a tail if you're by the backside or you feel an ear, you know, if you're blindfolded and you're up by the front, you know, and you're petting it, but it's still all the elephant. But for Mm. me, it's like, 
you know, I had to totally let all of my past uh, assurances go um, and fall, just free fall into the mystery of life and, and become that seeker. Because if I didn't, I was just going to sit there with my own self. And you hit the nail on the head when you said the first time I was sent there to rehab. And I was like, that was not my choice. And therefore mm -hmm. my heart wasn't in it at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was just going to, you know, figure out how to get the hell out. And so for me, it made all the difference when I was able to go, no, I need to try. I feel super mm -hmm. awkward about this, but I still need to try because as long as I'm on this planet, I want to have my kids here. I want to be with my husband. I believe that that stuff could get healed through therapy, which it did. And then we had four more kids together. So now oh, I wow. I know. You have eight like, children? I got eight. It's crazy town. It's a zoo. But it is. Hang on a second. Wait a second. Yeah. You have eight. You have eight children? Yeah. I know. I have, I have so one and I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> No, I always tell people, I feel like the biggest switch into motherhood was going from no kids to one. So don't minimize what you're going All through. Right. Yeah. I just need, I almost feel like I need to lie down on <laughs> your behalf. That is, that's just blown my mind. Wow. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. But I had to decide for myself. Right. And yeah. Um, yeah. So you hit it right on the head. I think that's, you know, a really key term that I really like talking about is intention. And I say it with my story that when, you know, in 2015, when I decided to stop drinking, I came at that month with a different intention. And in the past, it had been have a month off to kind of prove that you don't have a drinking problem. If you can have a month off, it means you're okay. And then you go straight back to where you were, which is what happened for you too. So I think when I came at this, that month for me, January 2015 of an exploration of what life looks like without alcohol, it yeah. just gave me a whole different way to look at that month. And it didn't become then about not drinking, deprivation, and not having, where you can find yourself white knuckling and ruminating about, I'm not drinking, I can't have a drink, I, this is my punishment because I don't know how to drink like a normal person, like all of these things. I think when you can find the, the, a really positive intention, which it sounds like you found too, it just changes your whole experience. And I'm pretty sure that rehab and rehab is, was the same, but what you got out of it the first time and the second time is, com is worlds apart. Yes. That's 100% on you and, and a credit to you for going in there with an intention of finding something that was going to help you, you know, achieve that life that you could see possible of having, of having your kids, of having your future with your husband. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And even though I didn't think I could do it, I was open. I was open to like, mm. hey, clearly I can't do this of my own volition yet. You know, I learned tools and then I started practicing tools. And, and you had mentioned in your last question, you know, were there certain things that I 
picked up and started doing as a practice. And, and I did, I mean, I incorporated meditation and, um, I also did journaling in my early sobriety often, and that really paved a foundation for making that a regular part of my recovery and, you know, just giving myself the opportunity to just kind of open those pages and bleed onto them and not mm. care. Um, that really helped me find a place of like, oh, yeah, I was drinking to escape the way I felt. And I felt mm. this way because I have these unconnected dots that I just could never figure out how to connect you know, and then as it went on and I was diagnosed with ADHD, which I didn't know I had. So then a lot of things made sense from mm -hmm. my childhood and, and just ways that my self-esteem had been affected back then. And then I carried those uh, threads throughout my adult life until getting sober and really taking a hard look in the mirror and just going, what are you afraid of? What is the mm -hmm. root of this? And I still do that today. When I notice yeah. or feel a stirring kind of in my spirit, like, yeah, you're feeling insecure right now. What is that about? At least I know mm. what to do. I know that I can get to the root of it and that it's okay, that that is a human experience. We all feel inadequate sometimes. We all are afraid. Well, no, not we all. I will speak for myself on this one. Afraid that mm -hmm. somebody's going to go, oh, she actually has no idea what she's doing which would be true half the time because really 100%. I'm just trying to just be a learner, you know, yep. and scoop up all of these pearls of, um, you know, little ideas of things that have helped other people, you know, yeah. being open to that and being, you know, willing to try and all of that good stuff really changed me and changed the face of the person of who I was for the better. Mm. And I think staying humble, you know, I think if you can, if you can come at life with a sense of humility and mine, you know, that might, that might sound like this. I don't know at all. Mm. Right. <laughs> In fact, I, I have pretty much zero idea, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to make mistakes right. and I will, and I vow to get up and keep trying. And I think when, when we, in the throes and the grip of substance abuse or a dependence disorder or an addiction. Um, and I know those things are very different and they're very graded for a lot of people, but like in, in those worlds where you're showing up and you're unable to function without a substance in your body, you become so arrogant and you, and you will not let anyone tell you how to live your life and you will defend your position so hard it's not that bad. I'm not, I'm not as drunk as that person. Oh, at least I didn't do that. Or at least I didn't go to jail. Well, you did. But, you know, like yeah. we defend to, again, protect because yes. when you're in defense mode because you're so arrogant and you're doubling down because you don't want to be wrong and you, it's not about right or wrong with this stuff. It's about great choices and the consequences of great choices. And a great choice is to stop drinking and I think what I see out of you, like what permeates out of you is such a great consequence mm. for your choice to decide, I'm going to do this life sober. I'm going to have 
all of the kids and the life with my husband that I want and I'm going to be present and sit in it. And I love the idea that you're like, stay teachable, stay coachable, stay stay humble because that's how we actually grow into the best versions of ourselves. So I think you're fantastic and I am really grateful for your story. I I know it's going to land on a lot of people. It's a huge story, but I love that you you share it um from such a, a beautiful place of wanting to help people. So thank you for your time on Last Drinks today. Maz, thank you so much for the opportunity. What an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.